Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. Welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. It's been a while, and I'm glad to be back after the market absolutely ripped this past week. This is the greatest 50-day rally in the history of stocks in this country. So pretty spectacular, and no better person to ask about what's going on then the impervious sean bush welcome to the show again glad to be back ben it's uh also nice that you can go outside and do other things besides trading at least here for us up in the northeast so uh it's i feel like this week as with every previous week the word insane um gets gets absolutely spammed so that's really the only way to describe it but excited to get into it yeah a lot of things coming back casinos golf uh you know various sports so I'm excited. Uh, there's definitely a whole lot more to do, and I'm sure some of that is the reason that the market is on fire, uh, which brings me to the topic I wanted to open up on. So we have this ongoing bet that has been going since May 1st. Uh, you have chosen QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, which is trading at all-time highs. I am taking the side of BRKB, so Berkshire Class B. Uh, I am the value investor. You are the technicals guy. So score update, um, as of May 1st, you are up 12.7% and I am up 9.85%. The market itself is actually beating both of us up 12.92%. So anyway, you cut it, pretty nice return for everybody involved, but you are still currently winning. But I mean, I think the curious thing is we're talking about a year's worth of returns. You know, any investor would be happy to have a, a double digit return in one month, um, you know, much less a year so. I would love to hear your thoughts on why we're seeing it, why the month of May was so amazing and why the first week of June was even better. Um, are we headed towards all-time highs? What's going on with the market right now? Well, Ben, uh, another week, another reason why this is such a, an obvious gimme pipe here with this bet. We have the NASDAQ hitting an all-time high this week. We have Donald Trump calling a, pr- a press conference just to dunk on Margaritaville Buffett because airlines... Uh, almost inexplicably, but definitely uh, surged this week. And so even though I know that this is a home run bet and I got this one in the bag, I feel like this is another week where my confidence in sort of the forward and upward momentum of the NASDAQ is is a little diminished. But uh, that, that certainly doesn't mean I don't think it's going to continue pushing higher and reaching new ground. But um, just to look at the the week we just had, it's six green days in a row and a continued pattern of uh, pretty low volume trading during the day and huge pumps overnight and just lather, rinse, repeat by the dip with, you know, pretty boring trading days, except for those huge, huge gaps uh, that we're getting overnight. And uh, what we saw is huge ga- gap up Friday with the S&P 500 gapping up 3%, only 5% off the all time high. Um, IWM was up over 4%. And while NASDAQ hit uh, an all-time high, it's definitely been slowed down and not participating in this latest rally quite as much as just the overall market, the S&P 500. And with this continued 
uh, sector rotation and outflow of money from tech just because a lot of these stocks are and have been at or near all-time highs for several weeks now. You know, there's not a lot of buyers up in that range. So there, at this point, I've made some terrible calls that I certainly was not alone in, but trying to call top several times right when we hit over 300. Last week, it seemed like we triple topped at 313. But right now, the market is not finding any upward resistance or anything that it's bouncing off of for any significant duration. So I still continue to see that going up. And basically, despite the fact that I'm overall bearish, you know, it's, it's, there's a huge opportunity cost and just general cost in general for trying to position way too early, call that top on a rug pull. Um, but with, with that being said and how, how much the markets have been pumping, um, there's a couple of things that stand out like uh, the S&P 500 closing on Friday with the uh, the one day on the RSI being uh, over 70, closing at 73, which is the highest it's ever been. Obviously, the NASDAQ being an all-time high. Uh, the, the markets are just running really hot at the moment. And so the, the rate of return in the last couple months, I think, is very difficult to expect moving forward. And I think it's reasonable to see at least some price consolidation, maybe some degree of moderate pullback. Uh, and the buying power is just too strong. I think any of those those pullbacks uh, will really be significant. But I think the, the upward momentum and just sheer exit velocity from the universe with these these prices and certain stocks is definitely bound to slow down a little bit. But we continue to see retail piling in, and uh, there's a couple great examples of just stocks that have been. And, and you can look at the Robin Tracker just to see what are the largest holdings by Robinhood users. And we've talked about this before. I don't know if it was on the podcast, but there's a number of just stocks because they are cheap and may have a piece of news around them. There will be you know, a massive amount of retail piling in there and really pumping up some of those stocks. So when it comes to our, our bet here, I, I still have absolute confidence because you know it's pretty big pie in the face for both Warren Buffett and, and Carl Icahn between uh, airlines, you know, particularly American Airlines being up over 100% at one point this week, uh, which Warren Buffett very notably pulled out of all the airlines. And then Carl Icahn, who very uh, publicly uh, divested from Hertz, which despite being on a death spiral, having filed for Chapter 11, was inexplicably up 200% at the end of the week. And one other just bizarre stock to throw out there that, um, you know, personally, I, I, I love shorting this, did well on this, um, but I can, cannot explain why Luckin Coffee is up 200%. You know, they've been accused of fraud, proven, but anything is value right now. There is so much buying and that should be really concern for anyone that's been around for a while and certainly anyone that's been around investing longer than I have in terms of when to sort of sense that there's blood in the water and that. Um, a, a bubble or, or some type of bag holding um, is, is about to be in play for these people buying at the top, just with the number of people piling in at such high prices, certainly not even relative to, you know, March lows, but even just looking at, you know, where, where some of these, you know, pretty junk stocks are sitting, there's got to be some concern there. Also, just the insane earnings multiple we're at right now, relative to the, actual you know end of year earnings that we'll see and as long as there are promising numbers being shown uh we'll be getting into second quarter earnings in, in about a month or so as long as there's progress to be shown i can still see 
a lot of pricing based on that forward optimism. But if we see even just sort of flat or down numbers in, in certain areas that have been uh, absolutely running away, um, travel, tourism, um, some of these corona defensives um, that are expected to have a huge windfall from the, the work at home movement. Um, if, if that really huge um, sort of upward growth based on these paradigm changes uh, isn't sustained or continued, you know, at least some of the, the buying uh, enthusiasm is certainly due to uh, wane, if not actually turn once the economic reality of what the earnings potential and future cash flows are for uh, companies in this new environment, especially going into the election cycle where there could certainly be any number of new factors affecting the ability to operate, air quotes, normal, um, even though we're in the new normal. So all that is to say, I think it's very unpredictable looking at any time frame more than uh, a month or two or even the next earnings. Um, but that's not to say that there isn't lots of opportunity to be long. Um, but I think the short term time frame is definitely presenting a lot more value than looking out in a year or so. And like I mentioned to you yesterday, um, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these stocks are trading at the same price in a year from now. Um, and that probably means we'll have seen a few uh, new all-time highs, but also a few uh, frightening dips and just a lot of volatility moving forward. Yeah, certainly hard to fade the rally. I do want to get into a bit some of the price action we saw on Friday because I thought it was really interesting how the stocks we normally see leading the way were perhaps not as up uh, over the course of the day as, as some of the uh, laggards that have been not partaking in this rally, which to be fair is actually something we talked quite a bit about last Friday. So Friday, I mean, let, let's take it from the beginning, right? This data comes out that non-farm payrolls are up two and a half million. The expectation was down 8 million, so wrong direction. And then huge miss by the experts in terms of what the, the final number would be. Uh, unemployment predictions were 19%. It comes in at 13. So the bulls gain a huge leg up. I mean, the consensus view on the market, I think it was the market had it right the entire time. The data was always going to be more positive than what was being forecasted by economists and by the major banks. Uh, I'm looking at uh, Robin Tracker right now. It's kind of interesting. The, the most popular stocks right now, Ford, GE, American Airlines, Disney, and then Delta. And then uh, coming in at, at number six, uh, Carnival Cruise Line. So I think what we have in common here is these are all stocks that uh, kind of got hammered the most um, in March during the coronavirus crash. And now they're the stocks that are making up the most ground. Um, this, I think, is some of the reason when I was you know, doing the research before the podcast and saying, why is the market both beating you with QQQ and me with BRKB? It's because QQQ, uh, like, it's not like Microsoft, Apple, and Facebook are, are really having killer weeks anymore. Um, you know, in terms of some of the numbers, like Microsoft's only up 7% over the, the month of May. Um, you know, in comparison to some of the banks, right? Like JP Morgan is up 19.2%. I'm looking at Wells Fargo up almost 15%. Bank of America up 22%. Um, and again, the, the other tech stock I was going to mention, Netflix, which was an early leader, is only up 1% over that time period. So uh, to an extent, I am cherry picking, but this does to me explain the general trend I'm seeing in the market, which is you're starting to see some of the more kind of industrial, uh, bigger fixed capital type businesses actually uh, catching up to the tech names. So I think we're probably, I mean, some of them have way more room to run. We were talking about some individual names yesterday and Chef, which has long been you know, a favorite stock of this podcast, friend of the podcast, as we like to say, 
uh, despite a, a massive rally, you know, I think when I recommended it, it's nine bucks to close the day at 19, you know, still over 50% off the all time highs. So while tech and some other sectors may seem like they're making all time highs, like you look at financials, energy, uh, restaurant, I mean, travel is the big one, right? Like the, the big names that were absolutely crushing it, um, were all the airlines, right? All up having 20%, 30% up type days. So I think the counter to the rally maybe losing some steam as well that we have entire uh, industries that are still 20, 30, 40, 50% off the highs. So I could, I could buy the thesis that tech goes sideways and we start to see the other sectors catch up. Uh, that's what we said last week. I'm sticking to it this week. So I'm going to buy the market um, and I'm, gonna fade, I'm not going to fade the rally. I think I'm, I'm a buyer at this point. Well, to, to clarify there, I certainly do agree with you because I, I do not see any reason why this rally is not going to continue or lose any steam, rather that the NASDAQ will continue lagging other sectors. And I know you're a big fundamental guy, but at this point, we're just so divorced from the fundamentals that uh, this, this type of sector rotation that you can almost set your watch by is going to definitely move into some areas. We've seen a lot of that from tech into travel and leisure and discretionary. And uh, something definitely looking forward to getting into is... Uh, looking forward to at least in the next week or coming weeks, assuming there is no black swan event or something like that, this rotation will continue into oil and gas, energy and mining, uh, another sector that was beaten down pretty bad, um, especially since we uh, just had the OPEC meetings. It seems like reports are pretty positive out there with uh, agreements on continued cuts. Um, so it looks like early in the week, you know, based on the runaway uh, rally we've seen elsewhere that there's no reason, at least at this point, so we get different uh, information earlier in the week or during trading hours, uh, that you won't expect to see the same type of rally continuing potentially in, in this market. So be interested to get your thoughts there as well. But I got a couple picks that I definitely look forward to throwing out for the week yeah. ahead. Let's stay on this topic just for a couple more minutes. Um, I think it's interesting you bring up oil and gas because a name both of us were short. Oxy had a hell of a day Friday, surging 33%, wiping out both of our put positions. But I bring it up because in one respect, it did help me. I own a ton of Berkshire Class B stock. And of course, our $100 bet um, rests on the performance of that stock. So I, in, a, in one way, like I, the, the, oil, the rally in oil, like if you look at it from a high level perspective, like, you know, I think as, as recently as May, right, we were seeing negative oil prices. We've gone all the way back up to 20s and 30s. I still don't think Oxy can be profitable in that environment. I think they have way bigger issues on their hands. The market's willing to see past. Uh, but you know, going back to the general trends, like I'm, this is the first time since we've had this bet that I start. I'm starting to think I can beat you, and that Berkshire has a, a nice little edge over uh, QQQ going into the rest of the year. But um, I mean, I, I guess like gun to the head, what do you think this is a trend we're going to see persist, um, or like do you think? Uh, this is just kind of a one-time thing. And the second we see some negative data, um, all stocks go down and there's no more sector divergence like we're seeing right now. Well, based on the amount of frustration I'm seeing on, on financial Twitter and the number of uh, prognosticators out there calling out large short positions that were instantly blown up the second they, they called the top, um, I absolutely seeing this continuing in the short term. We seem to be locked into this one particular uh, market trend and cadence based on you know how much of the current rally is based on zero percent interest rates, just an unlimited Fed balance sheet, and this will continue as long as it has to. That's sort of been the message. Uh, I don't think we 
expect any type of negative interest rates. But the the thing is that in the short term, absolutely, the the, the upward trend is is continued and pretty obvious again until we get information that uh, disagrees with that. But looking long term at something like like oil prices and some of the commodities, there is the, the challenge of demand does not look like it will return to the same levels, at least, you know, from the same, from the perspective of commutes will, will definitely be reduced. I think the working from home way of life is continued and certainly business travel or overall plane travel while being up. I don't know that the, the upside exists in this post COVID world that there was before. So there, there still is, is some consolidation to come, I, I would expect, before we can say that there's still you know, a year out, five years out, um, a, a positive outlook, or if it's the right time to buy into uh, a stock like that. But with the stock like Oxy, for example, I mean, from a fundamental perspective, it looks terrible. They just pulled dividends last week. And, you know, it's just been an endless stream of bad news. But despite the fact that it looks like oil is going up, it's also a cheap stock and there's just a face ripping rally going on. You know, it had a hell of a week last week. And so I, I think that anyone that is using more traditional strategies, whether it's you know, technical analysis or fundamental analysis to anticipate at least, um, you know, some type of change or a, a pattern um, has been sort of frustrated by just this continued upward movement. So I don't think that this is going to continue forever, but it's so tough to put a time frame on it. And I think that even just as we get closer to the election cycle, sometime around third, third quarter, we'll find the paradigm change again. You know, whether that is a, a rug pull or just some type of either, you know, continued low volume trading with what appears to be some degree of manipulation by, by some players, at least in the overnight hours or, you know, buying up dips and everything. But just a, a market that can't fail or, you know, a, a situation where, yeah, maybe we do find bottom and then just do this all over again. But I, I don't think that there is an expectation that Oxy is going to be a $45 stock again, you know, in the very near future is, is really the short way of saying it. We, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it's $45 in two weeks, but then, you know, that does not just seem like a rational price for, for that particular stock. Well said. I mean, I, I think the major one lesson I've learned over the last three months of market action has been just don't, don't be short. And if you're going to be short, make sure it's, uh, you know, a put or a put spread that you're you're willing to kind of, uh, you know, get exit the second things go south, or that you're willing to lose the whole premium on. I mean, we had talked about uh, early in the crisis that I, I thought Boeing, I thought the equity was worthless, and I thought they were headed for a government rescue, so the stock was trading at like ninety bucks. I mean, I think it's it's closing in on being like a two hundred dollars stock now. So, the short's tough, man. It's it's uh, it doesn't pay to uh, to be to be short during uh, the, one of the greatest rallies of all time. <laughs> Simple, but uh, effective lesson I'm learning. And uh, go ahead. Real quick on that point. I mean, what, what really makes short positions tough right now or we're trying to, to call the top is that with the amount of pumping going overnight, your position's already blown up by the time, you know, market opens the next day. So it seems like there's an even higher degree of risk. But the saying goes that it's the elevator down, but the stairs back up. So when a drop does happen, it will happen fast. And even if you don't catch all of that, there will be more than enough indicators that there is a strong reversal. So there's plenty of opportunity, you know, if you are trying to, to play short to get in once it's clearly already started once 
um, either a stock you're watching or one of the indexes blow past a clear resistance and there is continuing growing volume with the sell-off, that that might be a good time to enter a short position or also liquidate some of your longs just, you know, to, to capture profits along the way, which, you know, now wouldn't be a, good, a bad time to take some profits in some places or maybe increase your cash position just in case um, based on how well a lot of things have been doing. Um, but definitely continuing, not do not fight the trend and uh, you will get some obvious information otherwise. And being early is, is just the same as being wrong in that case. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, one thing I was going to bring up was during the early stages and even now with some names I'm in, um, I'm trying to be wary of being caught being too long when I think I could get better prices. Um, and I continue to think the risk reward on uh, put trades or any type of short trade is, is really compelling. Um, on the option side, like the VIX is low 20s now, right? We've watched the VIX just absolutely crash. I mean, the, the market is forecasting like zero one month forward volatility. Or, or one month forward volatility, not zero, that's the wrong term for it, but, but basically pre-crisis levels of volatility, which, which just seems insane to me. Um, I, I kind of want to be a net buyer of options. You know, I was bringing up um, kind of having some protected long positions because you know, I'm a huge fan of covered call trades. I've written about this on, um, on the blog. But you know, early in the crisis, I was selling calls uh, you know, after buying stock for these huge premiums. So it was like I'm downside protected 10 20%. Uh, now it's like you can't get anything um, going to a higher strike price uh, for selling calls. So it's like your covered call positions don't really give you any protection at all because there's, there's no one's willing to pay for volatility in the market anymore. So I'm willing to disagree with the market on this one. I think I wouldn't be surprised to see the VIX go back up to 30, 40, 50. Like I, I just don't understand why the, the forecast for vol is so low. But again, I'm not going to try to outguess the market. This is, uh, this is the reason why, as you say, follow the price action. Don't take you know, opinions on it. But I'm, I'm frankly confused about why Vol has been sucked out of the market. I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion on it because it makes no sense to me. Well, to, to, to my original thesis there that, and you know, there's, there's a lot of information to support this, that the, the influx of retail uh, has, has allowed the market to continue moving forward. And there, there does seem to be a high degree of FOMO with, with some of these rallies or people piling in, just not wanting to miss out on, on a rally. Um, but there's still just a huge amount of cash sitting on the sidelines, which you know, does give, give one pause as to whether there is a, a continued strength and health to, to this rally. And so I, I still see the, the potential and based on the option flows with still huge dollar put positions being taken and probably averaged each time they get blown up, um, that there, there is some degree of, of cautious optimism um, looking at it, you know, very lightly uh, with the market direction. But it, it does seem like if there is any interruption to this uptrend, you know, that drop could be very precipitous. Um, if, if there was a sense that, you know, we, we have sort of had, had some degree of return to, to reasonable pricing, I don't think you'd see such huge um, put positions being opened up, whether they are hedges or a speculative play there. Um, just the, the overall dollar volume of those positions seems to indicate that there is some, whether that's, you know, uh, 
caution uh, protecting some of your positions there or an opportunity to sell, you know, a huge number of puts when, when you see that there is uh, an opportunity to go up, which, you know, selling put options is generally one of the, the best and most reliable strategies, assuming you have uh, the necessary um, stocks so that that's, you know, not a naked put there. Definitely a reliable way to continually just sort of capitalize on, you know, your position, get some dividends there. But to, to answer that, that question originally, I, I, I have no idea when, when that turnaround will happen or, you know, what event could kick it off because any piece of news, the market's just steamrolled through unless it's positive. And certainly, you know, while that was a very positive jobs report, it was pretty problematic with some of the data, even at initial glance, but um, no one really bad an eye at that. It's good. So let's celebrate. Let's party. Um, so the market seems immune to that. But once it decides that there's a piece of news or some some shift in um, the way business operates, there there is definitely consensus that that drop could be quick, um, with you know some some degree of of a deep uh, cut into the last few months gains. So I don't know if everyone is quite buying this rally, and there's a lot of of continued option flow each day this week. You know, six green days in a row as we continue to climb higher. Um, just positions continue to be open at each each new high there. So I, I would be cautious moving forward, but certainly do not miss out on the opportunity to continue capturing some you know, pretty insane short-term gains uh, in different areas of the market right now. Yeah, good segue. Let, let's talk about potential for short-term gains because I know you have some super interesting picks for this week that you've done some research on. So what are you looking for in the week ahead? Yeah, so in general, we're, we're just really looking at you know, short-term swing trades here, maybe a day or two. Uh, rather than if this is a long-term uh, either options play or hold. And with that in mind, uh, as we were discussing earlier, I see oil and gas um, being one of the huge benefactors from this sector rotation and also having a good piece of news um, at the, as wind is at their back. And so uh, <laughs> I think philosophically we're out on Oxy and uh, ExxonMobil already had a big run-up last week. So it looks like Halliburton is a pretty obvious play, but one that could be really interesting and definitely meme out amongst the uh, Robin Hood crowd would be uh, Oasis or OAS, um, basically a penny stock, but based on um, the amount of short on uh, or the short position on, on OAS, we could see a huge squeeze on Monday, especially if um, all of that oil and gas sector is, is really taking off. So obviously there's some risk involved with a, a stock that's trading at about a dollar. Uh, but at the same time, if you're if you're okay just getting in and out of a trade, uh, able to sort of be watching for an exit, I could see you know another one of those crazy fifty or one hundred percent gains um, for one of those stocks. And so outside of oil and gas, since we talked about that a little bit already, uh, one area that I'm looking at, even though uh, the semiconductor industry, and you can check the ticker SMH or Smash Mouth as David Frost calls it, uh, has hit an all-time high. And we've seen a lot of chip stocks like uh, Texas Instruments and NXP went crazy last week um, after having uh, an, an upgrade. Uh, I think there's still some opportunity there, particularly with AMD, which uh, was actually trading slightly down on the week, um, despite a huge breakout um, midway through Friday afternoon, um, well after a lot of other stocks had broken out. So see continued upside on AMD, maybe up to 55 uh, this week, again, assuming that there isn't um, you know, some, some newfound weakness um, just due to the all-time high and lack of buyers for the semiconductor industry. Um, but AMD is always a pretty safe bet, but also a pretty safe bet to frustrate you uh, in just about any condition. 
So those are the more sort of macro and uh, directional plays there. But um, just to, to point out a couple pieces of unusual options activity coming through Friday. Um, anytime I see several sweep orders for an obscure leveraged uh, ETF, particularly a, an obscure leveraged bear ETF that always sort of raises an eyebrow. Uh, in general, leveraged ETFs are pretty bad play, um, especially bear ones. But when you see a significant amount of activity like on Friday, uh, there's at least seven or eight sweeps coming through for calls on TZA, uh, which is a leveraged small bear cap ETF um, come through. There's that, that is one, one indication that at least in the early week, we may see some of those gains that came through Friday uh, sold off and that gap closed uh, before we continue to move higher. But it does sort of fit in line with the general stream of um, different short positions that have been coming in. But it's just very strange to see sort of this one particular uh, obscure ETF with so many different um, call sweeps coming in. This is yeah, I'm looking at the TZA chart right now. So this is the Direction Daily small cap three times shares. So I'm not sure what the underlying index is. I'm assuming it's some small cap ETF or whatever that underlying moves. It moves three exit, but the chart is insane. Like uh, this thing peaks in March at 105 bucks and is currently trading at 1994. So if this rally keeps rocking, they're going to have to reverse split that thing. But um, yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't fade the price action. Um, certainly like having options on a three times levered ETF, you got to expect the payoffs are insane. Uh, that thing hits. So I'm interested to, to see, I mean, clearly people agree with that risk reward thing we were talking about, right? Like it's going to pay to be short uh, when the market actually does take a turn because there's no, no one's paying anything for options right now. The, again, vol has crashed so much. I'm sure the, the prices you're getting uh, for options on TZA are going to be relatively low. So interesting to see that, uh, that sweep come across the wire. Yeah, and you know this is certainly not a position I would recommend anyone take, and certainly one that I'm 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 not trying to get into. But I think there is a lot to read from that. Not just that someone is taking a short position, but if they're getting into a, a leveraged ETF like this, that means they're expecting a fast downward velocity or you know a deep sell-off uh, in the next few trading days uh, for that move. So again, something to not necessarily bank on just yet still no reason to to anticipate a sell-off but very very uh cautious you know when watching the ticker on on monday um if there is you know any any weakness found or we see a strong bounce off of uh upward resistance as it tries to um and i believe this is tracking iwm as it tries to push past 152 with s p 500 pushes past 320 um so you know maybe a steep sell-off in the afternoon but that will almost certainly get bought up um, still don't want to make any predictions there, but, but we'll see. Um, and one more I did want to call out uh, as far as unusual options activity, and this is one brought up before. Uh, saw $25 million in, in the money puts across three orders for GSX, uh, which was just massive in terms of overall amount. Usually in terms of the top dollar amount of, of options flow that I see, usually the uh, big indexes will, will lead the way just based on the amount of volume trading there. So to see a rather obscure Chinese stock, maybe not obscure to us and our, our listeners there, uh, be the, the recipient of such a huge dollar amount of 
of put money definitely raises some eyebrows there. And as we know that there's, there's been a significant amount of short interest in GSX with Muddy Waters and Citron post uh, publishing some, some pretty damning reports. We had an update actually uh, this week from Muddy Waters claiming a, a, a proof um, a reproducible proof of the different bots that GSX, which is a techno technology education company in China, um, have been using to increase their uh, user numbers, whatever the equivalent would be of, of daily average users um, for their platforms, which uh, to them is a direct indictment um, by Muddy Waters for, for fraud. So um, they were on Luck and Coffee before and it looks like they have got a pretty good case with GSX. The tricky thing, despite you know everything we've been saying about shorting different uh, plays in this type of market is that you have no idea when an investigation will be announced or when that'll be hit. Um, but as with Luck and Coffee, there is a huge amount of, of volume on a way out of the money um, put. And actually these orders were in the money Put. So someone is definitely probably hunkering in for, for the long haul versus calling the shot on a report coming out tomorrow. But if I continue to see or see uh, you know, a whole bunch of sweeps coming real fast for GSX, um, that's one that I'll be looking to you know, take a small position in because you know, that's probably the best opportunity for an easy 10-bagger there. But um, not one that I think um, you want to hold on to more than you know, a small position for any long period of time. Yep. We were never going to make it through a single podcast without talking about our, our shared love for the short China trade. I'm still holding on to my FXI puts, uh, expiration September, but I've not been doing so well. I mean, those things also partook in the massive Friday rally. I think this is a trade that I'm, I'm in it to win it, right? I, I don't think the fundamentals have changed. Certainly, like congressional action on China continues to be active. Um, GSX, I mean, the Muddy Waters report, I haven't read it, but I'm, I'm going to assume, you know, this is a pretty credible, credible uh, source, right? Like they, they called Luckin. They've been all over China over the last 10 years or so. So I think it's just a matter of time. I mean, I think from a trading psychology perspective, it's tough, right? Because like a lot of the, for FXI specifically, you know, I think we've been shorting it or trying to short it since 38 bucks. It's like a $41 stock now. So it's tough, man. I mean, I'm trying to hang in there, but I think, uh, I think with China, it's anybody's guess about what's actually going on. Yeah, and one, one of the macro factors we've talked about before uh, that could affect market direction and probably the only piece of news that's actually shown to have any type of negative effect on, on trading uh, has been um, any, any escalation on the China trade war or increasing rhetoric, which in his press conference Friday, Donald Trump did mention that he does not feel as good about the uh, trade deal as he did uh, back in January. So take that for what you will. Um, certainly don't expect an update. Um, I'm, I'm sure they're very aware that any any big piece of news or um, progress in uh, having some type of punishment or action against Chinese stocks for failing to um, adhere to SEC accounting guidelines, which seems like the most um, realistic threat to, to China stocks. You know, really, that, that would definitely be met with some retaliation. And considering this rally, I'm sure that they would like to see this run its course. But I could see some, some escalation there be packaged in with the sell-off. Um, that would be this, this black swan event um, that I, I don't think we'd necessarily find new lows, definitely inbounds. But that would be the perfect soup um, that could create that, that situation. But at least in the interim 
Um, I'm very confident that GSX, um, especially current prices, trading over $40, um, especially once it reaches $45, uh, if it gets there, um, is still probably a safer place to, to get into one of those put positions since uh, the majority of those orders last week got absolutely murdered um, by a, a rally by GSX in the, in the later part of the week. But um, I, I, the challenge is I would expect that if there is uh, a report about an investigation, it's not going to come during market hours. So if you weren't in that position uh, the day before, it's probably going to be halted um, for, for some time, or you may not have an opportunity to, to get in and capture that. So really a lot of ticket, but I think there's, um, definitely some fire where, where we have some, some smoke there. And I know nothing about GSX. Like this is, you said education group. So like essentially the same as, as what Tao was doing. Yeah. So apparently what, what their business is, is they do education via online platforms. So it'd be a essentially a zoom call with a teacher and then, you know, a bunch of children dialing in, um, and they don't operate in the U S they're, uh, pretty much strictly in China. So very hard to, to know if, uh, there, there's some type of analogy I could make to, to how we do things. Um, since you and I haven't really been in school in a while here, don't know how they do it. Uh, but that, that is their business and they've definitely been claiming that COVID and, um, the, the work from home or learn from home environment has, has been, uh, a big windfall for them, but the basis of a lot of their growth potential and optimism around earnings was based on the number of users and how they sort of report their growth is via that that figure, um, which is what Muddy, Muddy Waters has gone after and uh, worked with apparently Whistleblower as well, who used to work in the company to be able to reproduce the process by which they use bots or whatever else to um, increase the, the number of users there. But I'm not exactly sure how that business model would work out where revenues come from there. Uh, presumably there's a subscription model or students pay to use it. So um, hard to tell if there's any fundamental uh, reason to think that there's optimism moving forward about GSX. But I think there is definitely a lot to question uh, about their numbers. And with the, the increasing amount of information and pressure coming in from, from Muddy Waters, um, it, it definitely seems like they're, they're circling. So I still would, you know, not expect anything to, to happen. I wouldn't be surprised if it did, but any sooner than two or three months out, um, and Donald Trump needing to probably be pretty tough on China, uh, leading into the election and having that be part of his platform. Um, it seems like the, the indication or confirmation is there that, you know, this, this has some, some degree, some non-zero chance of, of paying out pretty well at some point in your future. Yep. I mean, I think that that trade too, it's not, I would even argue like you don't necessarily need an escalation of China to see this thing tank. Like I'm looking at the stock now, this is like a $10 billion market cap stock that trades at 220 times earnings. So it's like a, a lot of these, I mean, for an education company, right? Like I, I don't doubt that uh, conferencing with students and offering kind of like a telehealth for education is a good business. Is it like a $10 billion business? I mean, I'd have to know more about the business model, but some of these stocks seem pretty toppy and like very much overbought. I don't think you need to know anything about their business to know that this is a crap stock. I guess the challenge is that with so much short interest, and this is not a new thing, you know, GSX has been in the crosshairs for um, at least a couple months now. You run the risk of massive and continued short squeezes. Uh, and, you know, hard to say for sure, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are state uh, actors from China or elsewhere buying the dip and continuing to inflate um, the the values of some of these Chinese companies. So 
there's definitely a lot more risk or unpredictability there than with some of the uh, different stocks that we're a little more familiar with playing around with and have a better sense for, for some of the trading ranges that they might fall under. Gotcha. Well, awesome. I mean, definitely giving our listeners a ton of picks for the week ahead. You have anything else you want to share before we wrap up? Just to throw a couple out real quick in a lightning round here. Uh, not sure what to make of this one, but Saber, S-A-B-R, uh, had 14 sweeps at the end of the afternoon for the $15 strike price on uh, July 17 calls there. Uh, and I only point this out just because the activity, typically when you see a bunch of sweeps come in throughout um, a short period of time all in a row, despite no price movement, that usually looks like some type of insider buying or in anticipation of some piece of news or something coming out. And since there was really no price action on uh, Sabre, despite 10% um, gap up in the morning, um, I think there's a potential for some price movement to watch Monday. So definitely set an alert on that one if you are looking for a day trade. Uh, and we still have some earnings plays coming up. A couple to point out. Uh, Chewy, uh, which has been on uh, a pretty solid run the last couple weeks, is reporting after hours on Tuesday. And while this isn't a cloud stock, what I think we, we've seen in terms of a pattern for some of these uh, different subscription services or... Uh, some of these COVID defensive stocks is that despite how good earnings may look uh, after a huge run-up, it's very likely to sell off. So I'll be looking to see, especially if there is a general market trend down on Wednesday for that to be accelerated. So it might also be a good short trade midweek on Chewy um, following earnings. If there is any meat left on that bone, once uh, the stock opens and Hexo, a, uh, Weed penny stock, which <laughs> is certainly not your granddad's stock there, uh, is reporting Thursday pre-market. There's quite a bit of flow on that for Friday. Uh, we saw Tilray um, absolutely popping and memeing out the last couple weeks uh, with good earnings. And so I think that weed stocks, based on their cheap price, what we said earlier about um, Robinhood and the effect that being cheap has, if this gets sort of into the uh, attention field of the Wall Street Bets crew, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this also has some type of 100% rally just because that's the environment we're in. So H-E-X-O, that's Hexo. Um, look for them Thursday. Nice. As a follow-up to Hexo, I, I got I to loop in another one of our favorite podcast topics, Elon Musk. I'm not sure you saw this tweet, but I'll read it on the air because I think you'll get a, a kick out of it. So Elon tweets, this will probably get me into trouble, but I feel I have to say it. Follow-up tweet. Selling weed literally went from major felony to essential business, open during pandemic, in much of America, and yet many are still in prison. Doesn't make sense. Isn't right. So maybe we'll see Elon's tweet drive Hexo to unprecedented lo levels. I'll be, I'll be excited to watch. That, that would be impressive. Do you think the SEC would come after him for, for a pump and dump with weed stocks? I think the SEC is, I think Elon has permanent immunity. Uh, we, we've yet to see them interested in any Elon thing, despite the fact that he's probably violated whatever protocol uh, as he has as CEO probably dozens of times since they went after him a couple of years ago. So I think, uh, yeah, maybe Elon's leading the way for the marijuana penny stocks. I'd love to see him send a, a tweet to pump the mouse, Disney, uh, in honor of the mouse that uh, may or may not have been running around the thruster of that SpaceX rocket on the live footage, but uh, could be anything running around. 
what a moment that was. Uh, yeah, I mean, the guy can do no wrong. Anyways, you can find him, the impervious, on Twitter. Sean, good to have you on the show again, and uh, excited for the week ahead. Happy trading, Ben. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.